It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Ken Murray on LMFM. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Michael Reed Show. This is Ken Murray sitting in for Michael until 11 a.m. this morning. If you want to get in touch, give us a call on 0419832000, or you can text or WhatsApp the program on 086 658 or indeed you can send us an email to michael at lmfm.ie. Now. I think the nation is still recovering from the verdict in relation to the Ashling Murphy murder trial. It's a case that has shocked the country, but now that the verdict has been delivered and Joseph Pushka is facing life imprisonment, it then now raises the questions about the safety of women in Ireland. I'm joined on the line by Evan Ward, who is Services Manager at Women's Aid. First of all, Evan, uh, what's your reaction to the verdict? Uh, good morning, Ken, and good morning to your listeners. Um, well, I suppose um, we feel a, a sense of sadness and relief. Um, you know, obviously, uh, it's important that justice is seen to be done. Um, and, and, you know, for, for Ashley's family and, and friends and loved ones, um, it's a small justice in that it doesn't bring Ashley back uh, or compensate for their um, horrendous loss. Um, but relief that justice has been done um, and, and that, that you know there has been uh, this outcome uh, to the trial. Well, now, there's been a lot of uh, coverage and commentary in recent times about gender-based violence. Uh, you're a services manager at Women's Aid. How bad is the situation at present in terms of domestic violence and so on? Well, uh, Women's Aid since 1996 can have been recording the violent deaths of women in Ireland um, and since that date, uh, 263 lives have been lost due to violence and abuse. Um, and I think it's important for me to say as well that, you know, we are also thinking about um, the other bereaved families um, who have lost their loved ones um, because of violent crime. Um, you know, any loss of life, any loss of woman's life um, is an outrage uh, and a tragic loss for her family and, and friends and those left behind. Um, we know that domestic violence um, is, is pervasive uh, in Ireland, across our society. 
Um, and we know that it's the most uh, democratic of all crimes um, in that it's perpetrated through uh, all divides, through all stratas of society. Um, and, and unfortunately, we know that one in four women uh, will, experiencing, will experience some form of abuse in her lifetime. So they are very sobering um, facts, Ken. Are there any trends emerging? I mean, for example, are there any trends showing that the bulk of domestic violence scenarios are as a result of drink or as a result of coercive control or just ordinary situations that get out of control and one partner says one thing and another person argues back and it just gets out of control? Is there any picture emerging as to what the the main cause of the average domestic violence scenario is? Well, I mean, uh, you know, domestic violence is a complex issue. Uh, so we'll start by saying that. Um, but what we do know is that what um, underlies violence uh, against women is uh, an inequality, uh, a misogyny. Um, and what needs to happen is for that to be addressed in society um, rather than kind of looking at any one, you know, it's because of this reason, it's because of that reason. It's around looking at the societal um, views on women and and a, a, a an inherent risk of violence in, in our society. Um, so, uh, you know, it, 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 I guess it's, it's much more complex than one particular reason. Um, and it needs to be, to be looked at in a much, much greater societal way, um, Ken. Is there evidence to show that uh, where domestic violence is occurring in a, in a relationship or, you know, a marriage or whatever, that uh, women have a tendency not to report it uh, in the hope and expectation that uh, whatever tensions exist in a relationship will sort themselves out and everybody will live happily ever after? Or is there a fear uh, among some women that if they do report their situation either to the Gardaí or to some sort of an agency like yourself that, in fact, it might make matters worse. Is there any picture emerging on that front? Um, no, what I, I mean, what I would say to that is that it, it, it is very, very important that, you know, any, any women listening um, to your show this morning um, reach out for support. Um, and, and, and that was very important as well for me to say that reaching out for support um, does not mean that any caller or any woman will be uh, forced to make any decisions or to take any actions that she does not want to do. But I think it's really important that women have uh, uh, access to uh, information, to options, to support, um, and to talk about their situation. And sometimes, you know, just even even a phone call, one call can help um, a woman to discuss and, uh, and validate what's happening for her in her life. Um, and there's no expectation that a woman makes any next step. I think that's really important to, to, to say, and, and, and just to get it in there as well, that, um, you know, there is there is help out there. There are um, many different services throughout Ireland, um, you know, in, in, in the locality served by your own radio station as well. Um, and, and the Women's Aid National Free Phone Helpline, which is at one eight hundred three four one nine hundred. Um, you know, um, we'll signpost any callers to um, any services that are in their communities if they so choose. 
Um, so I think really important that, you know, a, a, a call even to discuss what's happening um, to, to, to get information and options is a really crucial key um, for all who are experiencing domestic violence at this moment. And do you find from the women that you engage with that some of them find themselves in very unhappy relationships that can be physical or violent or whatever, and that simply uh, women in that situation, they just don't have the confidence uh, to talk to somebody. Is that a common problem? Well, I mean, we know from our uh, almost 50 years of, of, of listening and supporting women um, that, that, you know, domestic uh, abuse and, and, and being um, uh, subjected to, to, to course of control within an intimate relationship can have devastating uh, consequences um, in all aspects of a woman's life. Um, and, that, and that can in- include, um, you know, her ability to, 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 to reach out uh, for help. And that's why it's so, so important that we make that reaching out uh, as easy and as accessible as possible for women who are in that situation. Well, now, the government has introduced legislation on coercive control. This is where one partner is either aggressive or dominant over the other, uh, and it's now an offence under Irish law. Uh, Do you think the government needs to do more to raise awareness about the legal framework that allows people who are subjected to coercive control uh, to talk to somebody and get their problem addressed? Yeah, and, and you know, in terms of, of government and, and uh, government policy and, and direction of government uh, around uh, the issue of domestic and, and, and uh, gender-based violence, um, there is a, a third national strategy, which is in its second year um, now. It would have been published last year. Um, and in that strategy, there's a, a, a really big focus and an important focus on um, awareness raising and prevention uh, the prevention of of violence and, and, and of abuse is, is really crucial. Um, and we know that there is commitment from government uh, in terms of development of services and in terms of this crucial prevention piece. Um, but we also know that that uh, commitment to funding services, to adequately resourcing the key objectives of the national strategy, that needs to be sustained and maintained um, uh, you know, as we go into the future. Well, now, the Ashley Murphy murder in Tullamore, it got uh, phenomenal coverage at the time in January of last year. What did the coverage um, and the enormity of the murder uh, do in terms of raising awareness about the problem of domestic violence? I think, yeah, I mean, I I, I think the fact, you know, that this could have happened um, to a woman out jogging on a, on a, a normal afternoon, I think that this that this could happen has really tapped into a, almost like a visceral feeling that so many women and girls are actually socialised to feel, and that is that the risk of male violence is everywhere, um, that nowhere is safe, um, and you know always carrying a feeling that they need to be aware of their surroundings, you know that they need to check in maybe with friends or family if they're out alone. Um, and I think, you know, this crime really, I suppose, evidenced that, um, that nowhere is safe, really, um, and that women are at risk. And I think that really tapped in, um, and it really, I suppose, frightened and upset, um, naturally, uh, you know, a lot of people. Um, but I think that's, that is a feeling um, that many 
probably the majority of women and girls do carry when they're out alone. Um, Let me put this question to you, Evan, and I don't wish to put you on the spot, but um, we had a situation recently where a man from Afghanistan was convicted for the murder of two men in Sligo. We have this scenario where a foreign national has been convicted uh, for the killing of Ashling Murphy. And, you know, if, if street talk is anything to go by, there's a growing concern that a number of people are being allowed into the country but are not being vetted uh, either for crime or for misdemeanours in other countries. Has the time arrived for the government to say to somebody who shows up at Dublin Airport seeking asylum, well, hang on now a second, we just want to check your background here. We want to determine if you are going to be a civilised citizen in Ireland if we let you in. Has the time come... Uh, for some sort of programme to deal with foreign nationals who are coming into the country but come from different cultures where abuse of women is the norm where they came from but it won't be tolerated here? Well, the reality is um, that when women are killed in violent circumstances, two-thirds are killed in their own homes by a male known to them. Um, And like I mentioned uh, kind of at the outset, domestic violence is the most democratic of all crimes in that it is carried out um, uh, and perpetrated by uh, men from all classes across all sectors of society um, uh, and across all divides. Finally, Evan, um, if any women are listening to this programme and they find themselves in a situation where their partner is being abusive or violent to them, what advice would you give? Well, I mean, you know, um, I, I would advise them, as mentioned, to reach out to a, a domestic violence support service. Um, they can find out who, who they are and where they're located by calling the free phone number, which is the Women's Aid National Free Phone Helpline on 1-800-341-900. And there are domestic violence services throughout Ireland. Um, I know your listeners are based in, in, in Louth uh, and Neath, and there are services in Drogheda and Dock. Uh, Navan and surrounding counties um, so it's really important you know pick up the phone there are also options around instant messaging if, if a call is, is, is not preferred or not possible um, you know there is help out there there are options there are people who want to help the Gardaí have their own domestic violence policy um, and the guards are there to help as well and, and to um, support women to go through the criminal justice system um, so uh, I suppose my message is to reach out um, and, and you know just to hear the options to discuss the situation that's happening um, and, 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 and to find out the next steps if, if that's the choice that a woman wants to make. And of course Women's Aid and other various agencies um, their details are available online. Okay we're going to have to leave it there that's Evan Ward Services Manager at Women's Aid thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us. More to come with The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, you may be aware that the Apple Corporation was one of the very first US multinationals to set up shop in Ireland when Steve Jobs and co. came to Cork back in the 1980s and it set in train uh, an extraordinary trend whereby something like eight of the top ten tech companies in the world now have the European HQs in Ireland, all, of course, uh, made possible by various generous tax breaks and incentives. But Apple has got itself into a 
spot of bother in relation to a sum of 14.3 billion euro which the EU believes it should pay to the Irish government and this is being debated and discussed and it seems the Irish government isn't in exactly in a panic to get hold of the money because it doesn't want to sort of penalise Apple. Any of the matter came up for mention in the courts uh, yesterday, or sorry, in in the European uh, Commission yesterday, and we'll be talking to Karen Coleman uh, very, very shortly. But I just want you to listen to this piece of audio. This is Richard Boyd Barrett uh, talking about the Apple arrangement with the government in the Dáil yesterday. Minister, do you think there's ever, do you think there's ever been any other government in the world that has been told that they could have an additional 14 billion euro in revenue and said, no, no, we don't want it. Uh, And then go on actually to spend, what is it now, 8 million euro in legal fees fighting to ensure that we don't get the money. Uh, 14 billion euro is more than three times the housing budget. Imagine what that money could do to uh, address the housing crisis. And now we have an opinion from the Advocate General of the European uh, Union saying that the, uh, essentially the original ruling effectively was correct. And remember what that ruling was, that Apple were paying only 1% tax. When they were supposed to be paying 12 and a half, they were paying 1% and that they owed us 14 billion euro and your government doesn't want it. Will you now withdraw from this case? You're way over time. Minister, please. Uh, Thanks, thanks, Deputy uh, Boyd Barrett. I thought when you were starting your uh, contribution there that you were referring to the budget surplus this year, uh, which has been significantly contributed to by corporation taxes. And uh, as I mentioned to to, to Deputy Doherty earlier on, um, the, the tax... Um, code that we've had in this country and the pro-business approach has been central to transforming this economy and to making Ireland what it is today and to making sure that unlike many of our European uh, counterparts, we have been able to step in, for example, uh, by virtue of having a good economic situation to help families and to help businesses through challenges and through inflationary challenges at the moment. Um, Something we wouldn't be able to do if we'd followed the policies of the far left or of people before profit. Uh, We would not have a state that we could help people with. Uh, We would not have the economy we'd have. Uh, There is an issue there which I discussed earlier on, uh, which is currently under consideration by the courts. Um, So therefore, I'm not in a position to comment on that particular issue. Because it's it's subject to judicial review. Deputy Sean Kenny. That's uh, Minister for Agriculture there, Charlie McConnellogue, uh, replying to the comments made by Richard Boyd Barrett of People Before Profit. Karen Coleman is editor with EU News Radio and she joins me on the line right now. Uh, Karen, I suppose to put this in very simplistic and understandable English uh, to sort of uh, quote Richard Boyd Barrett, um, Apple wants to pay 13.4 billion euro to the Irish Exchequer and the government doesn't want the money. Uh, Is it as simple as that? Well, Apple certainly doesn't want to be paying the Irish state uh, the money because both Apple and the Irish government have contested the original European uh, Commission decision, which was now way back in 2016, that the Irish uh, that Apple owed the Irish state uh, that money for uh, taxes that weren't paid. I mean, just to give you, and it's it's a complicated case, but to try and and, and make it as simple as possible, this goes back, in fact, Ken, to an appearance 
in 2013 by Apple's boss, Tim Cook, before the US Senate committee about Apple's uh, tax arrangements. And um, during that appearance, um, it came up that, you know, Ireland was a tax haven and that Apple had been sheltering billions of dollars through um, these companies, subsidiaries in Ireland. And that raised awareness in Brussels. And then the Commission started to look into this. And the Competition Commissioner, uh, Margaretha Vestager, uh, then Competition Commissioner, she declared that uh, Apple had been given unfair tax advantages and that tax rulings by the Irish commissioners that go way back to 1991 and 2007 had given Apple unfair tax advantages over competitors and that was against EU state aid rules where a a government cannot give unfair tax advantages to any one particular company which would then be unfair for the other companies. So that led then to the Commission declaring that Apple had enjoyed unfair tax advantages in Ireland and that it then owed the uh, Irish state over 13 billion euro, which with interest amounted to over 14 billion euro. And that led to Apple putting into an escrow account in 2018 that sum of money, but it never believed it owed the Irish state that money. And the Irish government has always said it didn't owe that money, it wasn't owed that money either. And that led to the, both the Irish state and Apple then contesting the European Commission ruling or the European Commission opinion on this. And that led to that case being referred to the European Union's General Court, which then in 2020 declared that in fact it was incorrect that the Commission's decision to get that money put into escrow was wrong. Um, And that was sort of unexpected at the time when the European, uh, when the EU's General Court made that ruling. That was then appealed by the Commission in 2020. And that led to the decision yesterday, which was really interesting, by an advocate general of the European Court of Justice, which is the absolute highest court in the EU. Uh, Giovanni Petruzella declared that the general court's decision in 2020 was based on a series of errors of law. Um, and he's now recommending that that case be reheard. And um, this could take and, a number of years, I presume. Oh, a number of years, because the ECJ... It will rule now, um, it's expected in the first quarter of next year, and it's generally the case that the ECJ follows the recommendations of these advisors. And, you know, the Advocate General is an advisor to the ECJ. And if that's the case, then it's expected if they follow the recommendations of Mr. Uh, Petruzella, it means then they will go back and say to the EU's general court, you have to rehear this case. Um, and that could take several years, because even if then the EU's uh, general court finds against its original ruling in 2020 and upholds the European Commission's ruling, then that could be appealed again. So this could run on and run on. And meanwhile, that money that is in an escrow account, that's being invested Um, And in fact, apparently it's gone down in value, I was reading this morning, um, from the original sum of money. But it just shows you um, how complicated these cases are 
and sure. um, the fact that they could be appealed and appealed means, yes, it could go on until the end of the decade, apparently. Sure. Just one final question, uh, Karen, because I have to go into an ad break. But uh, doesn't this put the government here in a bit of a difficult situation in that uh, if they take the money from Apple, Apple management might just say, you know what, Ireland isn't uh, the great incentive we thought it once was. If we take our business to Estonia or Poland, we'll pay less tax uh, and uh, we'll be better off in terms of of our bottom line when it comes to totting up the figures at the end of the financial year. Isn't the government caught in a bit of a difficult situation here is in that if they go after Apple and take the money, other corporations may get worried and it may discourage even those in America from actually investing in Ireland in the future? Well, I mean, there's always been uh, that concern that, you know, if our corporation tax rates were raised or interfered with, those tech giants and other pharma companies or whatever would move elsewhere. But we are actually raising our corporation tax rates to 15% in any case, according to new OECD rules. And the tax rules in general are being changed. Now, therefore, companies that earn profits over a certain figure, um, that 15% will apply. That's always the argument. But I think it's a reputational issue, uh, Ken. The Irish government does not want to have seen to have actors um, you know, like a, a tax haven or a, a cowboy country for uh, big tech giants or other companies trying to evade taxes. So it's as much about legacy reputational issues as much as what's going to happen in the future. I mean, there is a general move to create more tax harmonization across both the EU and other countries in general, because this issue about not paying taxes in, in countries where where products are made or sold or whatever, because it's such a complicated web, applies far beyond European Union countries. And the United States has had this issue for years about these big uh, tax uh, or big corporations making profits elsewhere and, and not paying in the United States. So I think there's a general move to better tax harmonization in general across certainly um, uh, maybe international um, or Western countries to better have tax harmonisation. But I think the, for Ireland, certainly, it doesn't want uh, its reputation to be tarnished and for this ruling to sure. maybe uh, show that it might have helped companies evade taxes if indeed that that's what the General Court finds in the future. OK, well, something tells me, Karen, it's a story we're going to be talking about again <laughs> and again and again. All right, good to talk to you again, Karen. Take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. That's Karen Coleman there, editor with EU News Radio, which covers the European Union and Commission for Irish radio stations. OK, more to come. We'll take... Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, the housing crisis, a united Ireland and building a better, fairer Ireland will dominate Sinn Féin's two-day Ardèche, which gets underway in Athlone today. The party is on something of a roll. It has the most seats in the Stormont Assembly in the North, albeit that the Assembly is not sitting. It won the most seats in council elections in the North, and it's currently topping the polls here in the Republic. Uh, One man who can give us some sort of an insight as to where the party is at is Gavin. Gavin Riley, political correspondent uh, with Virgin Media TV and columnist with the Meath Chronicle. Uh, Gavin, what's the mood in Sinn Féin at the moment? Is there a sense that they're on the verge of taking power here in the Republic? 
Uh, the property user sense, Ken, good morning to you, that this will be something... I, I don't want to say that they think it's an inevitability because Sinn Féin, of course, will tell you that they are taking nothing for granted and that they will work very hard to make sure they win every vote whenever the time comes. But there's been a definite change of mood and perception uh, inside the party in the last six months that they're now kind of beginning to believe the hype, if you like, that they know that it would take a pretty remarkable turnout of uh, electoral events for the party not to end up being some part of a coalition, the other side of a general election. They take, for example, I know you were just talking to Karen Coleman there about the Apple tax advice from the European Court of Justice yesterday. Uh, I met somebody from Sinn Féin in, in the Leinster House canteen not long after that news came out. And I kind of half skittingly said, oh, that's going to fall into your, your basket now when you guys are in government now after the next election. That's going to be your decision now whether we, we keep the challenge up or not. And rather than the usual thing that you might get, I'll, I'll go out of that, go on, you're not in government yet, everything is, you know, um, that usual kind of dithering or that kind of equivocating that you might get when they're trying not to immediately talk themselves into office. Immediately the response was, going to be a tricky situation now whenever that happens, um, you know, that they weren't immediately discounting the prospect. So I, I think they know that many just slip between cup and lip, but that right now it's going to be very difficult to form any kind of coalition uh, without them and that it would take a pretty dramatic turn in the opinion polls, uh, for example, for the, the present coalition, the three parties that are in power right now, for them to be able to salvage enough seats that they perhaps could, could stay in power for a second term afterwards. I think everyone knows, including those parties themselves, that it's a long shot and that Sinn Féin would really be in the driving seat. Well, now, in the last, what, two to th- three years, uh, the graphs, the important graphs have all been going up. An increase in seats in the Stormont Assembly, albeit it's not sitting, increase in seats in the council elections in the north, and an increase in opinion poll figures here in the south. But the last opinion poll saw a slippage in Sinn Féin support because uh, many people appeared to be happy with the outcome of the budget. Do you get any sense that the next budget could eat into Sinn Féin's uh, popularity? That I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that is the outgoing government's actual strategy on all of this. You know, I'm, I'm on my way to a press conference now this morning where it might be something again that we'll ask the two ministers that are there because there's one from Fianna Fáil and one from Fianna Gael. But there is a general perception that the present government is going to stay on for as long as it possibly can because it knows that A, there is no obvious sign of Sinn Féin's momentum ebbing away, so they just need to basically stay in office and kind of a, a wait-and-see, hit-and-hope kind of a thing, uh, basically just hope that the, the critical wind turns. But also they do know, and this was very important if you if you cast your mind back to last springtime, you might have seen, um, somewhat unexpectedly, uh, a lot of videos of Leo Varadkar and other senior Fine Gael ministers canvassing in town and city centres uh, quite early on commuter mornings last February and March. And the reason they were doing that was not because there was necessarily an election just around the corner, but they wanted people to know when they're opening their payslips or whenever they got their payslip at the end of the month, they were trying to make the point, look at guys, if you're an average full-time worker, you're now 70 or 80 euro per month better off. Your, your energy bills are now down a couple of hundred euro because of our credit. And they were basically just trying to highlight that, yes, the budget might have been announced a few months earlier, but only now were people beginning to bear fruit from that. And I suspect that the, the present government is minded to stay in office as long as it possibly can because it would wait until next spring, bear in mind that the election doesn't have to be until sometime in the middle of March of 2025, they would rather wait until early 2025, hope again that the circumstances allow them to have a pretty good budget next autumn, and that they can then go to the people in January, February and March and say, look, you know, we've now extended free school books to almost everybody, um, look at the tax cuts that you now are able to, to make a better benefit out of, um, and the basis they're going to hope that people feel more comfortable in their pay pockets, because otherwise they know that if they were to go any earlier than that, there's a good chance of Sinn Féin uh, running away with it. Uh, and one final note before you go on. You mentioned all the graphs and Sinn Féin doing well and everything. The one area of government in which they are not currently dominant 
is local authorities here in the South. But do bear in mind that in the local elections in uh, May of 2019, it was actually seen as something of a, of a bit of a blow for Mary Lou McDonald because Sinn Féin didn't do terribly well at all, that they really underperformed. I think they only won something like 9% of the first preference vote. They, re- they really dramatically underperformed. Nobody expects that to happen again. And that means that even if Sinn Féin only have, by their standards, an average day out next June when we're electing members to, to allow the new county councils and everywhere else, they're still going to come back with far more seats than they left with. So it's going to create this sense of momentum and it really will it will create this idea that maybe in a lot of people's minds it might feel like a fait accompli that they're going to be in power next time around. Sure. The great concern from middle class people and indeed the business and corporate sector when one mentions Sinn Féin is that if their rhetoric in the past is anything to go by, they're going to put the squeeze on the middle classes. In other words, the middle classes will be asked to pay more tax. The corporate sector will be asked to pay more tax. Uh, Do you get any sense that Sinn Féin is softening its position in relation to that type of policy? Uh, I suppose it depends on what your definition of the middle class is. Certainly if you were to look at their last alternative budget, they effectively weren't uh, promising any kind of tax increase for for the vast majority of people. I think by their calculations, only the highest 3% of earners uh, would find themselves paying any more tax under a Sinn Féin government. And that was because there was going to be this idea of a solidarity tax where those who were on six-figure salaries might have a slightly higher rate of tax that they might pay on anything above a hundred or 120000 But by and large, Sinn Féin's stance now is that they wouldn't do anything to try and, uh, and penalise anybody below that. But I think particularly because they recognise that with the rising cost of living in the last number of years, that even if you're on an ostensibly very good salary of sixty or seventy or 80000 that it perhaps doesn't go as far as, as it might have done in the past. Now, the, the, the response to that, of course, would be that Sinn Féin might perhaps then clamp down on the corporate sector. Again, this harks back to the previous item. You know, Sinn Féin were very critical about the idea of even pursuing a defence in that Apple case. They wanted Ireland simply to roll over and take the £14 billion because they reckoned that the state could do better with that money and that it shouldn't be trying to defend the principle of Ireland's previous tax law. Even still, though, on that front, you can see a little bit of moderation because you can see Mary Lou MacDonald going out of her way to almost act as something like a proxy Taoiseach sitting down with big industry, uh, Pierce Doherty and Rose Conway Walsh, the finance ministers, uh, as would be um, sitting down with industry, David Cullinan, having meetings with hospital management. They are effectively trying to make sure that there isn't some sort of industrial panic whenever they do perhaps take office, that they want to make sure that people do think of them as straightforward operators and not, not people who are going to turn the apple cart upside down. If anything, really the challenge for Sinn Féin next time around might be to convince the voters that they are delivering something like radical change, while also convincing those who hold the wealth in the country that they are not going to be as radical as they say. Okay, Gavin, I know you're en route to a press conference, so uh, I'll let you get on your way, and thanks very much indeed for taking our call this morning. That's uh, Gavin Riley, all the way from Sonny Rathmaline, who is political correspondent with Virgin Media News and columnist with the Meath Chronicle. Okay, more to come. We'll take Ken Murray on LMFM. Now we're going to draw it for our next story and there's uh, something of a very serious situation uh, happening in Carnog Brewer in Drogheda. It's on the north side of town and it relates to the fact that a number of houses in the area uh, haven't had water and apparently it's a case of a dribble of water uh, an hour and in some cases uh, people are not able to have a bath, a shower, even go to the loo and this is causing all sorts of inconvenience. Uh, joining me on the line right now is Eddie Keegan and Bobby O'Malley. Uh, Eddie, thanks for joining us on the programme. First of all, uh, when did this problem begin? It's about six months now. Six months it's gone. 
and they done a little job and they got it back. See, what happened was in Boatbrew, there were six houses there. They had no water for 15 months. And they put it in. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Take a pipe into them houses and they're going to be a flow of water. And we were fed off the same pipe. And they left us with a smaller pipe. And we were only getting a dribble of water at night when them people stopped using water. We get a bit of water and a wood fill our tanks at night. My tank is starts in the morning at 8 o'clock at night. Now that doesn't happen at all because they're going from Billy to Jack, though. They're walking one area and cutting off another area. They don't know what they're doing. They make headless chickens going around. And it's, it's serious. I have no heat in my house because there's no water in the attic. There's four days. And dying with the flu, and it's no help. Not even did the call to the house would say, well, there's no water there, there's a drum of water, and will get you a tile for you or something like that. No one can hear us or nothing. Like, it's scandalous what's going on in this country at this day and age. Like, they can send men to the moon, they can do major heart, and heart, heart surgery, and they can even send me home Martin to China. So like, there's something wrong somewhere, and they can't put water in the pipe. Bobby O'Malley... Yeah, Bobby, you live in uh, Carnog Brewer as well. What sort of an inconvenience has this created for you? Same as uh, Eddie has pointed uh, out there. So, uh, we don't have water during the day. And it's at night time when it comes in. About half ten at night now, my tank was half filling. You have to make a decision the next day. Are you going to have a shower? Uh, does the wife want to do a wash? You've, um, you have to fill buckets at night time to flush your toilets down, you know. So uh, it's a total inconvenience across the board. So you have to make a choice what you're going to do on the day, what's going to, whether you're going to have a shower or whether you're going to do your washing. Uh, you can only do one or two of the things and then you have to wait till the next, then that night it fills up again and then tomorrow you make a decision on what you're going to do. So it's been going on like that now for a good long time. And uh, we've been in contact with uh, Laird County Council. In fairness, 
they have nothing to do with it, you know. It's uh, Ishka Ireland that have, have it now. And they have a contact, a contract crew out doing the work for them. And I've been in contact with them. And they were very helpful. They've been above here with me. And uh, we've been doing, looking for pipes on the ground for the past couple of days. And uh, we're trying to sort the problem out, you know. But it's a, it's a very long, drawn-out process, you know. And, uh, Eddie, if I can come back to you, um, I mean, how are you managing for water? Well, I'm going to tell you now, my young fella goes over to a friend of his across the road and he gets uh, bottles, of, well, not bottles, uh, tanks of water and brings them across. And we have to carry them up the stairs to use in the toilet. We don't bring them into, into the attic. At the moment, my attic at the moment, there's two inches of water in that pipe, so that means I have no heating again. In the tank, there's two inches of water, and that's exactly what's in the water. It's, it's, it's unreal, like, uh, at, at the present day. They just shouldn't happen in the present day. To, even the, if they came along and fixed uh, a temporary fix, to give people water, they can have heating. The heating is at this stage of the game, at, 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 at the time of months now that's coming in. Heating's a lot to do with the house now. You know, and it's a, it's a scandalous the 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 way we're treated. The the bells are going around the town all summer, filling uh, the, the flowers, watering the flowers. Could have not put an extension pipe into that, drove up into you know, six houses, and put the extension pipe up into the attic and fill the tanks. At least the old people here in this street and have heating. And they could either wash clothes or they could have a shower. Like, it's serious well, at this stage of our life. Bobby, know. let me I come back to you. Yeah, Bobby, let me come back to you. I mean, in terms of local political representatives, who have you spoken to and what have they said? I was getting very... Uh, Frustrated with phone and lack of cancer, getting nothing down. I have to say, I got uh, P.O. Smith on the job with me, and he did a lot of work in behind the scenes. He told me that he was going to meetings on a Monday night to uh, the Lower County Council meetings. I'm bringing this uh, forward at the meetings, and every like they took it on board, and he was in contact with. Uh, Ishka Aaron as well, talking to those. And uh, they have been coming around, which uh, he has, he's been very helpful to me anyway. I, I, I appreciate what he's done for us, you know, because he's the only one that was doing anything for us, actually. And have you spoken to anybody else? Uh, we did make one or two phone calls and we didn't get any response back from them. So we just said, to hell with that, you know, if, you're not, if they're not going to ring you back, well, what's the point in them running after them, you know? I'm not mentioned who we Yeah, sure, all, sure, it makes, sure. It makes no odds, you know, but we, I, I made one phone call to PO and he took it on straight away. So I just wanted to say thanks to that guy, you know. Very good. But um, what are, if you like, the neighbours in Carnot Brewer saying? What are they saying? 
Well, people, I, like, like there's one side of Carn of Brill has water and the other side hasn't. There's six houses my side hasn't got the water, right? And there's six the other side, you know. This problem started in the front of Brill when they came to do the job, the, the problem was put around the corner onto us, you know. So my neighbours across the road that has water are wondering if this job is going to be done, will the problem be pushed over to them? You understand what I mean? Sure, sure. And uh, they're just they're just very annoyed that it's gone on for so long and like, without water. And it was okay in the summertime there. You could it was warmish, it, was, it wasn't bad, you know. But the winter's coming in now, and as you listen to Eddie there, no heating at night time. Like it's these these are elderly people, and there's other there's other elderly people uh, in the block as well. So they're all. Uh, <laughs> It's just gone on too long. And Eddie, are you getting any indication that this uh, lack of water is causing tensions in families? Well, there's a girl up there next door to Bobby now. She's a young child and she can't wash the young child. She can't get out water. Because she didn't realise, because you wouldn't see this girl during the day and that, because she goes to her mothers and that, you know. But she didn't realise, and she's not long in that house. And she was getting plumbers and plumbers and plumbers to see uh, to see what was wrong with water and all that, and the cost of fortune. And the woman next door to me there, there was in uh, number 10, she was in the shower and her shower blew up because there was no water going into it. And she rang twice and then twice and came out to look at the shower and it was because there was no water coming in. Like, it's, it's, they, they don't know what damage they're doing like, uh, with not putting water in. Like, look at heating. I have gas heating and all, all the radios. So if I've no water in the tank, there's no no way of feeding them radios. So I can't put them on because I can't blow it. I might blow the, the, the gas tank and that. You know, I don't know. It's, 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 I don't know what's going on in this, in this country. I think it's true that they, this is going on so long. It's on six months now or a little more. And they can't come and just say, I'll... I'll fix that there. Instead of fixing that, they fix that and they break someone down the road. They, they, at the beginning, Irish Water didn't, didn't, doesn't know all the, the pipe work in the town. Sure. And that's why the, 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 the corporation here in the town should have given the men that knew the work where the pipes were and this, that, and the other, so they could fix them. Where Irish water pulled into it. I'm not saying bad about Irish water. Irish water pulled into it and they were taking water out people to people because they didn't know. And it should have been corporation walking alongside them and and that would have solved it because they knew every point in the well, let me tell you, Eddie, if this irritates you, we've got Pather Tobin coming up in half an hour talking about all the billions that's being wasted by the state across a, a range of areas. So um, I hope we're not oh, getting... I, I, I hope we're not getting your blood pressure up. But Bobby O'Malley, if I can come back to you, um, uh, in terms of the fact that you don't have water and uh, the fact that one or two local representatives are, if you like... Um, making the case on your behalf. How hopeful are you that this problem will be solved in the next week or two? Well, I uh, I, I heard about uh, Amelda Monster above in the dog the other day, brought it up, and uh, 
I don't know whether that rattled a few cages, but I got a call from uh, Ishka Water that night telling me that uh, they were starting work in Butterbrewer Friday morning. And would we keep the driveways clear that, from cars that we're going to start work on it? So I went out this morning and uh, GMC was there this morning putting out bollards and uh, things on the green. So whatever happened, uh, Mel or above in the doll, I must have, as I said, rattled a few cages because they were here this morning and I can see uh, fencing that they're going to fence off. So things and are I got, happening. When I, when I got the call from the guy from um, GMC, he's an engineer that was here with me in my back garden and that we were trying to walk out piping and that, you know, he says, he rang me and says, the, there was an estimate, estimation stone on it and it was passed and they're going to do the job in Butterbrow now. Okay, well, we've been on to Ishka Aaron and Linda McKenney got in touch and this is the statement from Ishka Aaron and it says as follows. Ishka, Ishka Aaron is working on solutions to help resolve the persistent problems for the residents in the Carnog Brewer estate in Drogheda. In some older estates like Carnog Brewer, water connections are typically made of iron or lead. These were installed to the rear of properties and are often referred to as backyard service connections. The pipework, due to age and deterioration factors, can be a significant source of leakage. Backyard water services are usually shared, running through neighbouring properties, making it difficult to detect and repair leaks. Since properties may share a connection, leaks and bursts can affect all properties in a neighbourhood which can result in low pressure. Ishka Aaron, working in partnership with Louth County Council, will be replacing problematic backyard water mains in Carnog Brewer to safeguard the water supply to homes in the area. The delivery of these essential works will provide a safer, more secure water supply for the area by minimising the frequency of bursts and improving the resilience of the network. The major network upgrade was due to commence in Q1, that's uh, the quarter one uh, period in 2024, which would either mean it's going to start perhaps in January or February, but have been brought forward due to the poor condition of the network and will now commence in December 2023, subject to relevant road opening licences. This project will strive to revolve these issues for properties affected in Carnog Brewer, Drogheda. And it goes on to say, as a short-term solution, Ishka Aaron commenced works in October, which involved the laying of a temporary overland supply to replace the existing leaking backyard service. Works were completed by Friday, October 13th, and will remain in place until the network upgrade has been completed. Ishka Aaron will continue to carry out works at six properties in Carnog Brewer in relation to detailed design and site investigations in order to provide the upgrade needed to the network. And finally, it says, Ishka Aaron would like to apologise to all who have been affected by the frequent bursts in the area and we would like to thank all customers in Carnog Brewer who have engaged with us and assisted us in the provision of our backyard services programme. So effectively what uh, uh, Ishka Aaron is saying is that the uh, the piping around the Carnog Brewer era is, uh, is rather old uh, but they're on the case and hopefully something's going to happen in the next week or so and then the problem will be solved forevermore. Is that good news uh, Bobby and Eddie? It is good news. Good. I, I've had uh, GMC at my back and dug up my garden the day before yesterday looking for those pipes and they had to go two and a half feet down in the ground, and they did find them. They're old, they're 70 years old, and there's no 
uh, what would you call it, planned. They, 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 can, they can see the main pipes coming into the town, in, into Butterbrough, but the offlets into the houses is so old and underground. But we traced some in my garden, and then they just, I think they, the thing unfolded in the doll, and sure. there was a different uh, outlook of it. And then I got a phone call that night saying that they were starting Friday morning. Which okay. They are well coming. The weather this morning. Okay. Well, look. It seems this is a problem all over the country, where piping that was laid into the ground long before many of us were born is now starting to reach uh, the limit of its life, and leaks are occurring all over the place. Okay. Hopefully, this problem will resolve itself in the next week or so, and we leave it at that. That's Eddie Keegan and Bobby O'Malley on the line there from Carnog Brewer on the north side of Drogheda, talking about the water issues they're having in their areas. Okay, more to come. We'll take a break. On LMFM. Now, we've had an update from Ishka Aaron in relation to our interview regarding the water outage at Carno Brewer in Drogheda. And we got a statement in uh, from Ishka Aaron uh, just in the last few minutes. And what Ishka Aaron is saying is that they will be mobilising a specialised team to prepare for the laying of a new water main, which will be incorporated into the major network up Grade which is required. The revised fix will help to mitigate the issues for the properties affected in the Carnog Brewer area of Drogheda. So Ishka Aaron are very much uh, on the case and hopefully that problem will be fixed sooner rather than later. Now if you're a dog owner, well it looks as if uh, things are about to get a little bit tough for you. Have a listen to this piece of audio. This is John Lahart speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Minister, in your capacity as Minister for Agriculture, you came to Glenis Small Valley in my constituency last year uh, to highlight, quite rightfully, uh, the threat that out-of-control dogs can pose to livestock. Um, While I I think both of us would recognise that the vast majority of dog owners in this country are very responsible, and uh, while welcoming the measures introduced or announced by the Minister today in relation to possibly extending the restricted breeds, also acknowledging that there has been an increase in attacks by dogs on individuals both here and abroad. It seems to be increasing. While acknowledging and accepting what the Minister is doing, does the Minister also accept that really enforcement is where this is all about? You can increase the amount of on-the-spot fines that people have to pay. You can widen the range of restricted breeds out there. But if people continue to walk their dogs without muzzles that are meant to have muzzles or allow them off leashes Thank in you, parks Bertie. and on streets that where they're up. meant to be on leashes and with muzzles, Thank you. simply more enforcement is required. And Thank does the Minister much. agree Minister. with me on that? Thanks, Kev Yeah, um, thanks for uh, raising this. And I know, I know uh, visit the Dublin Mountains with yourself and local IFA Chairman Donny, uh, Donny Anderson as well, not so long ago, um, and we discussed this issue, uh, Deputy Lahart, and I know it's something you're a strong advocate on. We have been working at government. Uh, there's three departments that have crossed departmental responsibility, myself, uh, Minister Humphreys in the Department of Rural Affairs, and Minister O'Brien um, in the Department of Housing. We've put a work group together to try and address some of these issues. Uh, we'll be progressing legislation. We're finalising legislation at the moment in terms of improving enforcement. But you're right, enforcement is a key part of it. Uh, and also respect. Uh, respect. Um, by those who own dogs, for other people, and for how their dogs um, um, interact with with, uh, with the environment around us, uh, and also respect for the animals themselves as well, in terms Thank of how you. we make sure Thank you, that animals are cared for um, and uh, properly looked after. 
That's uh, Agriculture Minister Charlie McConnellogue answering questions there from Fianna Fáil TD John Lahart. Finnegale Senator John McGahan joins me on the line right now. Isn't that a problem, John McGahan, that in relation to the Control of Dogs Act, that enforcement will be the key? Um, yeah, Ken, I think it is. And while I can't speak for John Lahart because uh, he deals with South Dublin County Council and I don't know how good or how bad they are with enforcement, what I can speak about is Louth County Council. Uh, and I believe, and I see it in the facts, the dog wardens in Louth County Council are very proactive, they're very efficient, and I don't think enforcement is an issue in County Louth at all. And that's actually borne out in the data because in 2022, Louth County Council had the second highest number of fixed penalty notices uh, that they issued 147, and that was second only to Cork, who issued 170. And indeed, in 2031, they were the highest in the country for issuing fixed penalty notices, with 231. But of the 147 last year, 65 was for not having a valid dog licence, 48 was for dogs not being under proper control, 25 was for restricted breeds, and the council issued an average of 1,000 Section 16 notices every year, which requires dog owners to submit proof that they have a dog licence. And finally, the dog wardens in County Loud made 4,000 house calls last year, door-to-door checks. Uh, so I think Loud is doing extremely well when it comes to enforcement. OK, that may be the situation in Loud, but uh, this Control of Dogs Act, I mean, can you talk us through the legislation and what people can face fines or prosecutions for? Yeah, so to, to give the background context of it, the Control of Dogs Act date back to 1986, uh, and even back then, financial penalties were put in place. Now, what Minister Humphreys is doing is enhancing those measures. So like everything, in all walks of life, there's irresponsible people, and unfortunately we have irresponsible dog owners. Uh, and by increasing these fines, I think it's really ensuring that uh, responsibility comes to those people, that they don't cause harm to other people's pets, livestock. But just to be clear about it, some of the offences at the minute are no dog licence. That's going to increase from 100 to 150. No identification on dogs. That's going to increase from 100 to 200. Uh, a stray dog, for example, in County Loud, if you came across a stray dog or if I lost my dog and it went stray, you would have to pay a 20 euro to reclaim it from the pound. That's going to go up to an uh, on-the-spot fine of a 150. And perhaps the most important one, dogs who are not kept under control, that fine is going to go from an on-spot fine of 100 to 300. So there are a couple of things that uh, Heather Humphreys has introduced. And as I said, it's really targeting people who are irresponsible with their dogs. That's sure, but here. I have to put it to you, I mean, and it comes back to the question of enforcement. I mean, the vast majority of people listening to this very programme in all likelihood have a dog in their house. They may have two, but a dog is a pet. It's a sort of um, an ally that uh, you can have a very close relationship with. But in all my lifetime, nobody ever called to my house looking for a dog licence, and I don't know of anybody whose house got the knock on the door from the dog licence inspector. Isn't it all very fine saying, if you don't have a dog licence, you'll be fined, is it €300? Euro? But the reality is, nobody is going to come knocking on the door. Again, I, I'd have to politely disagree with you there, Ken, because, again, the facts, as I mentioned earlier, on speak differently. Uh, in 2022, the dog wardens in Louth carried out an average of 4,000 house calls, door-to-door knocking each year, carrying out those checks. Now, that's what's happening in County Louth. I can't speak for other local authorities, but I think it's important to kind of just consider the context of why these fines are coming in. Um, and, again, the, the, these enhanced regulations are coming in because of the harm 
that irresponsible dog owners on dogs are causing people. And again, that's borne out in the data. So in 2022, there were 791 dog, dog attacks in Ireland. Of that, 460 people had to be hospitalised. And of the 460 hospitalizations, 208 were considered to be seriously injured. And of the 460 hospitalizations, 31%, 144 were children. So it's because of those stats, it's because of some high-profile dog attacks that we're making and taking this decision. And at the end of the day, this is for people who are not responsible. If you are a responsible dog owner, you will have nothing to worry about. This is for people who are consistently irresponsible with their dogs and are causing trouble. Um, And I think it's a very good idea. Well, we've had a situation, I think, in Britain in recent times where the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has been moved to ban, I think they're called XL bully dogs. Yeah. Uh, they've been known to, dare I say it, kill children. Um, is, isn't it not better for the state to ban certain dogs rather than penalise dog owners who look after their little Jack Russells or whatever and give them loving, tender care? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So in Ireland... Um, no dog breed is currently banned in Ireland, but there are 11 types of breeds that are on what's called the restricted dog list, and they have certain requirements for those breeds. So let me give you an example about it. One of the 11 breeds is uh, an English Bull Terrier, so or a German Shepherd is another one. So if you had either of those two dogs, when you have that dog outside, the dog must be on a muzzle. Uh, it must be on a leash that's no longer than two metres, and it must be controlled by someone over the age of 16. So they're the requirements on those 11 breeds. Now, what the minister did yesterday was she established a stakeholder group whose membership is set to be finalised in the next few days. And that's going to be looking at the expanding the list of restricted dog breeds in Ireland. So what I would say is it is difficult to preempt what that stakeholder group would do. But I think, as you mentioned yourself, with uh, in relation to bully dogs in the UK, I would I would I would be surprised if the stakeholder group didn't look what's happening in the UK in the last 12 months and didn't maybe take along a lot of the same similar approaches that they're doing and perhaps in the future you could see certain dogs um, banned in Ireland. Now I don't want to preempt it but I think they will follow uh, adopt a, a similar approach as to what the UK has done in the last 12 months. Okay well there's an opportunity John for a private member's bill in the Senate to uh, if you like ban certain dogs in the country. Anyway we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. That's Fine Gael Senator John McCahan talking about the uh, Control of Dogs Act. Okay more to come we'll take a break. Ken Murray on LMFM. Call Michael now 0419832000. The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Ken Murray on LMFM. Now, the next time you hear the Gardaí say that they can't afford to recruit extra Gardaí because they're being badly paid or nurses are being badly paid or teachers are being badly paid or there isn't money to fill in potholes, well, you might keep this next piece of audio in mind. This is Pavel Tobin speaking in the Dáil yesterday. A national hospital, six years late and 1.4 billion euros over budget. An opaque HSC coming down with management that can swallow up billions of euros but can't make a decision. 300 million euros spent on the Dublin metro projects without any construction. Dozens of flood defences stuck in a banjaxed planning and court system. Not one approval for a wind farm in 12 months. Just seven offshore wind turbines built in 20 years. 
over 100 electric buses sitting for 18 months for the lack of charging points, 500 modular homes that were meant to be built in October 2022 yet to be delivered, 22 million euros of dodgy ventilators bought by the HSC being stored at a cost of 75 million euros, spending 18 million euros fighting 14 billion euros of Apple tax to, due to Ireland, 10 million euros of HSE rent overpayments because someone mismeasured the rooms. No one ever held responsible, no one held to account. You, when it comes to administration, is this government not one of the most wasteful governments in the history of this state? Uh, this is uh, an opportunity to raise one question on one matter, not, not a litany. Not a litany. Wastefulness is Minister, the question. Minister, brief, very briefly, please. Thank you. Well, you must be in, you must be in your element, Deputy Tobin, because nobody likes to, to talk and spend all day talking about challenges and problems in yourself. And uh, you have even exceeded your own um, capacity to do that in that uh, one-minute contribution you have there. Um, but this is a government that are trying to make progress every day in terms of infrastructure and in terms of public in terms of public services. We acknowledge, by the way, that there's we acknowledge there's challenges in relation to planning and making things happen quickly. Um, that because we are impatient as a government for progress. We're impatient to make sure the terms of how we're managing the economy that we can see that translate into good public services and improve public infrastructure. One of the challenges around that has been our planning system uh, and what this government has done under great work from previous Attorney General who made this his signature act, um, Paul Gallagher, in relation to bringing forward the third largest bill ever in the history of this state, the Planning and Development Bill, which will go through the Oireachtas over the course of this, this winter to try Thank and you, address Minister. some of those challenges. I look forward, Thank you, um, uh, but uh, not with much optimism, to a positive contribution Thank to yourself you, to make sure that goes forward, um, Deputy, De 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 Deputy Tobin, um, because uh, we need to see uh, cross-party support yep. across you, the House to ensure that, that becomes up. law. Thank you very much. That's Agriculture Minister Charlie McConnellog there responding to Aintu leader Pather Tobin and TD from Eath West and he joins me on the line right now. Pather, are there not checks and balances in various government departments to ensure that when budgets are allocated for various projects that they're actually spent properly? Or am I wrong? No. Well, uh, there, there are checks and balances, but the, the real check is accountability and, and nobody's taking responsibility uh, for what's happening at the moment uh, in the delivery of capital infrastructure in this country. So remember, you know, Ireland really needs significant capital infrastructure. Uh, we had about 10 years during austerity uh, where there was very little of anything built and very little upkeep in terms of our capital infrastructure. That may sound like a boring issue or a dusty issue, but it's not. It's issues like the Navin to Dublin rail line. It's issues like housing for people, like hospitals for people. Um, you know, it's issues such as, you know, transport. So, the big issue that I have at the moment is we have a accountability, responsibility-free zone when it comes to delivering capital infrastructure. I'll give an example. The National Children's Hospital, obviously, 1.4 billion euros potentially over budget, six years delayed. Now, it was Leo Varadkar himself, as Minister for Health, who actually put forward the tender process in which there was a hazy, nebulous design for that project. And because the design wasn't right, from the start, there had to be loads of redesigns. And I know one room in that building that has been redesigned 120 times at a massive cost to individuals. Now, in a normal society, if that was in the private sector, someone would lose their job in relation to that level of, of um, uh, waste and, and overspend. So take another example, housing. There are 3,500 local authority houses now empty, and that's in the middle of a housing crisis. You could actually stick all of the homeless children in the country in those 3,500 empty homes. 
It takes eight months to turn around a local authority home currently. It takes three weeks to turn around a private rental accommodation at the moment. Why is a state spending eight months turning around a, a house when it can be done for three weeks at a time when there is a housing crisis and so many people are in, in emergency accommodation? But the, I think that the political class in this country have become so accustomed to this bureaucracy, so accustomed to this waste, that they're not even, they're not even considering it. They're not even focusing on it. Right, and but what, uh, the question I have to ask you, though, is, are there not people within each government department whose job it is to keep an eye on expenditure and make sure that targets are met in terms of money allocations for various projects so that projects are delivered on time and on budget? There are. But the problem is, if they're not delivered on time and on budget, there's no cost to anybody, there's no penalty to anybody, everything continues as it was. So what's the solution? The only way you can actually change the behaviour of senior people in the public service is that there's a cost, there's an accountability if major mistakes are made. And that means people must lose their jobs if they don't fulfil their contracts to the state properly. Um, and if you don't have that level of accountability, everybody will tut tush people, it'll be in the news for six or seven weeks, the country will be shaking their heads and going, what's going on in this country? But this, the political class will move on and nothing will ever change. So one of the major solutions is, is accountability. The second issue is we have a planning system at the moment that is glacial. If you want to get planning an ap- application for a house or if, uh, if for a, a major infrastructural project, it can take years to do. So take Middleton just a couple of weeks ago. It got inundated with water. Sure. They have been working on developing a plan for a flood defence there since 2015. The planning application is not even submitted yet. So when it is submitted, it will take years to wind through that process because the court system is, is a mess. So in other countries, if a person commits a murder, they will be in jail within the year. So in other words, the whole criminal case will go through the courts within a year. In this year, it could take two or three years for cases to actually come up. And many of these uh, planning cases actually take three and four, five and six years uh, to, to come through. So what the government needs to do is make sure, first of all, that those systems are resourced and that they are efficient in delivering their projects. Like the whole idea about the 120 electric buses that are sitting up in Dublin, the, the government bought them 18 months ago. They're sitting doing nothing for 18 months except gathering dust. Why? Because the government and the state forgot to get planning permission for the chargers for those buses. Now, if that happened in a private company, in, in, in a shop down there, in any street in Ireland, the person who made a mistake in not making the application would have lost their job. But that person will never lose their job in senior okay. public well, fi- service situations. Fi- finally, Pather, and very briefly, I mean, if you were in government, if you were a minister, what exactly would you do to ensure that when civil servants are asleep on the job and there's budget overruns and there's millions being paid out for this project and millions being paid out for that project, but there's not enough money to fix the local potholes, what would you do to sort this out? We would introduce the same criteria that exists in any big company in this country that a person has a contract of work, and if they do not fulfill that contract of work, uh, there is a penalty for that. Uh, you, you do your best to help the person, to make a mistake for sure. You put in supports if, if people make m- mistakes. But if a person continues to make mistakes that cost the state and the taxpayers money, well, that person has to uh, lose their job. And 
you know, and you reform okay. planning and you reform the core system and you, you, you bring about a culture in local authorities that there's a penalty if they don't turn around local authority houses faster. OK, I don't know, by the way, if the state is still paying big money for the storage of those infamous electronic voting machines, but something tells me uh, it's something that uh, some government ministers don't want to talk about. Anyway, we're going to leave it there. That's the leader of Aintu, Padre Tobin, and TD for Meath West. That just about wraps it up. I want to thank Brian Farley, who produced this morning. Chris Murray was on sound. I'm Ken Murray. And until the next time, bye for now. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.